Good morning, LBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and I am with the Story Podcast. Today, I have a super awesome guest, but before we get into that, please check out our store. We have stickers available for everybody, and we have the shirts and the hoodies with the first 50 guests, not including, uh, sadly, uh, Pauline Williams. I know, <laughs> Mr. F- Mrs. 51. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sad. I but it's am. okay. It's okay. I was counting on that sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> but Pauline Williams, she's an awesome person. You should check her out anyway. Pauline Williams lives in York County, PA with her husband, John Williams. Pauline is an active, is active yeah. <laughs> in the community through private teaching, music classes, and worship ministry. She is well known for her six albums done both at Wright Coast Recording Studios and in her kitchen. She invested her early married life into homeschooling her two children who were often involved in these undertakings. Now that her children are grown, she is publishing a series of devotional materials to encourage others in their journey to know their God. She continues to teach and write music in addition to enjoying gardening and learning new games to show up her kids. <laughs> you can find Pauline and her projects on Spotify at Pauline's Music, on Instagram at Pauline's Music, Facebook, website, it's all Pauline's music, <laughs> and you can find her books on Amazon. Yes. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So what got you inspired early on in, in your life, do you think, oh, to into, start making music? Into music, um, my grandma. Oh, yeah? Yeah, my grandma was a piano player and a singer. So from a very young age, we would be at her house, and she'd be practicing for Sunday mornings, or I would be at church watching her play, um, at her house just hanging out, listening to her play, listening to her sing, and just singing with her all the time. So that was probably the earliest. Th- and my mom says that I kind of sang before I talked, really, even. Oh, really? So, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so very early roots. So when did you start picking up piano? Um, my grandma showed me a little bit. I started playing violin in third grade mm. just because I couldn't wait for the flute. That's what I really wanted to play. But the violin got there six months earlier, so violin player. And so I learned quite a bit of the right hand, and I had already been picking out melodies on the piano a little bit. And so my grandma showed me the left-hand bass clef notes, so I started just picking up music and figuring it out and learning to play songs. And then in sixth grade, I volunteered to play for the school choir, and my mom goes, you can't do that. You've never had lessons. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> and I played a ballad, learned the whole thing. And then my mom's like, that's it. You have to take some lessons. And the re- main reason I didn't want to take lessons is because I didn't want to play what the teacher told me. I wanted to play what I well, wanted I to play. I want to play, right. And so I took, a, she told me one year. You have to take one year. And then if you want to quit, you can. And I loved my piano teacher, so I never quit. So there you go. Exactly. It always does come down to the teachers. It does. Let's make it a does. break. They inspire you. Yeah. Because I, I, I remember my teacher, uh, my piano teacher, he, I would, because I was the same way. I didn't want to <laughs> learn. I didn't want to learn all the classic stuff. I didn't want to learn all the stuff that they wanted me to learn. And he was like, all right, fine. Give me a song you want to learn, and I'll teach it to you. And he just learned it by ear. Uh, so yeah. I would show him, like, uh, Viva La Vida from Coldplay. Yeah. And he would just listen to it and then start playing along. And I'm like, what? Yes. I remember my Bible college professor being able to do that. And I was just like, I want to do that. And so eventually learn. Netflix, yeah. it, you learn to do that. Yeah, and now I can do that <laughs> with, with anybody else. And it's it's so awesome that you can learn how to play by ear. Yes, yes. It's one of the skills I highly value yep. in any musician. Even 
there are some musicians out there that uh, will play, you'll play one of your own original songs and like a violinist will come in and just play along. Yes. And pick it up. And I'm like, wow. It's always so great. Yeah, it's a fabulous feeling. So where'd you go from there? From sixth grade choir? Did you keep doing that? Yeah, I just kept playing piano and... I mean, I mostly, unfortunately, in choirs didn't get to play a lot because they always wanted me singing. Mm. But I usually they'd give me one song a year to get to a company. And so um, started writing music in, it would have been ninth grade. I heard a guy came back to the school who went to, to Spring Grove because I went to Spring Grove. Um, we've lived a lot of other places in between, but I grew up in this area. And I went to Spring Grove High School, and I, and I don't even know his name. So to this day, <laughs> I don't know who this guy was who inspired me, but... We were hanging out after school, and he was in the music room playing away some songs he wrote. And I was like, I want to do that because I was always writing melodies in my head, but I had no way to get them out. Mm. out you know what I mean? Other than just kind of sing it a little. But, and then I sat down and just started, I wrote my first song. And I still have it in a drawer. And I still have the, it's, this is funny because this is on a cassette. This dates oh, yeah? it, but it was on a cassette that my grandma took at a school function of me getting to sing the first song that I wrote. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was really neat. That you was still in sing like it today? Grade. I haven't in a long time, no. Mm. It was kind of funny because I never realized how much like this one Ronnie Millsap song it was that we sang in choir that year, but I didn't realize that till later. <laughs> right, right. It's always funny how our first songs always get pushed away, but they're really special to us, but they yes. always get pushed away. Would you consider it a good song? or Actually, it was pretty oh, good. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the better ones. Like As you tried to like make it happen down the road it got harder mm -hmm. because you did you were trying to make it happen instead of just letting letting yourself learn to letting yourself learn to craft a song let some things be half finished right you know, i still have a folder full of songs from my early 20s that i would just i never quite finished i had a great chorus but never did anything with it so but and that's okay that's part of the process right. learning that that's okay and you always have that folder you can go back to. Yes, and, exactly. And it might come back to you later on in life. And some do. I mean, I have a song that I wrote when, as my kids were born. And it's actually a song of Mary saying goodbye to Jesus at the foot of the cross. And it was mm. called Goodbye. And I wrote it as my son was born. And I ex experienced what it was like to be a, a young mom who was scared to go take a shower because you don't want to leave your baby alone. You know, you're like, oh, no, this poor little helpless baby, you know. And you're like, no, a shower is important. So <laughs> and it was funny because I started writing this chorus in the shower. And I, I came up with the whole, like, main chorus and the piano part while he was a baby. I couldn't finish it. I just mm. couldn't. Right after when my daughter was born, three years later, the whole song basically wrote itself then. Hey. And then I started performing it all over the place. And, it, you know, I mean, it was just, it became a really special song. And I even put it in a musical I wrote once. And so it was, it was neat how that happened. And it kind of taught me that's okay. Yeah, it's okay to relax. And I, I slowly realized I've, I've been trying to write like albums for the past few years because I just want to get something out. And I, I've realized that I haven't played some of those songs in a few months. Mm, yes, that happens too. It's so easy to let it. Right, I'm like backburner too long. Right, backburner <laughs> too long, and and then it's like, well, I mean, some sometimes that's needed. Yes. But when you forget the chord progressions, I'm like, okay, okay, maybe I have to revisit this and refocus a little bit so that way I should write down the chord progressions. Yes. When when I first started writing, I didn't write almost anything down, mm. just barely, basically a skeleton. Because I'll be like, I'll remember. No, it's not. <laughs> the biggest lie you'll ever tell yourself is, yes. I'll remember it. Oh, no problem. I got this. No, you have to. <laughs> Give yourself some notes. Give, Give yourself, yourself some, some notes. notes. 
Yeah, I've I've started uh, writing down the dates that I start writing songs as well. That's a great idea. So that way I know. Okay, what was I doing on that day? Okay, I was probably at church after the because there's a piano at church. I really love the sound of. Yes, um, there's nothing like that. So right. an instrument you love. Yeah, an instrument that sounds great. It because there's always these plugins or whatever, but the and there's like a million grand pianos here at LBC. Uh, you'd be surprised if yeah. you walked into the Good Shepherd Chapel, just how many Not really, I went are. to college for music. Oh, well, uh, there yeah. you go. They're all over the place. But uh, this particular one just sounds so warm yet bright. Yes. And it's like, oh, this is... I need to sit there and, and I'll, I'll know if it's on a Sunday. That's exactly where right, I was. Right, that's where it was. <laughs> so what was yours... So I guess your songwriting process has evolved over time. Very much so. And I've allowed myself to try different processes. Mm. I mean, the, the part that was easy for me at the beginning was melody writing because I was a singer. So that was easy. Then what was tricky was um, I had kind of trained myself out of playing by ear mm. a little bit because I played enough classical that and by music, and I was playing for students and all that, that I wasn't playing by ear enough. But I had, luckily, a Bible college professor and then a worship leader friend who were just like, there is absolutely no reason with your ear and your music training that you're not just grabbing a chord sheet and letting it fly. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because that's really kind of what pushed me because I just started chording all the time. And I found so much freedom in it. I loved it. You could do anything. And then I was able to start putting backgrounds to more songs. Mm. Because sometimes like a piano part would come right away, but not every song you know, not every melody I had was supposed to be that. So you can't fit exactly. melodies in the corporation. So you were like, right. oh. so I, I slowly would take them to other guitar players, or I would actually, as I started to learn to sequence, is the old term for like what you did on just the keyboard right. one that was built into a sequencer. And as I started learning to do that, I would write bass lines mm. and then put the melody in. And then I would figure out something cool to do on the piano or get the guitar player to play it. So I just started branching out. You know, sometimes I wrote by, like I said, a bass line. Sometimes I actually learned enough guitar that I've written several songs on my guitar. Oh, nice. Yeah, and what it was kind of funny because one of the last projects even, it was one of the truest guitar parts I ever wrote. But it was so funny because the true guitar players in the room, like Bobby Gentillo mm -hmm. from Right Coast Recording, and, and then my friend Isaiah um, Becker, who I've been writing with a lot lately, they both laughed because they're like, no guitar player would choose to go from that chord to that chord. <laughs> but I'm like, but the singer who already wrote the melody would. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. So, oh. so, But I figured it out, so I played it. Player. Yeah, exactly, I'm not. And so it was kind of fun because it was. And it's kind of funny because it's, it's one of the songs that kind of gets a lot of comments too. You know what I mean? A lot of people mm. saying, oh, I like that. It's just fun. And it, I do, you write melodies different to the different instruments too. Yeah, I've, I've slowly learned that. And I'm trying to, trying to pick up guitar again because I, I, I realized that there's only so much piano music you can make. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and guitar is a whole other beast. Yep. And even electric guitar, there's a difference between the acoustic oh, very much. And, the, and writing for electric. There's very so much, much difference. I wrote a rock song. For, oh, yeah? For um, my Just As I Am project. And yes, it was. I was writing this. It ended up being a, a three-song set that goes through the process that a psalm often will, mm. and it goes through the how-longs, and that's what the rock song is. And I wrote it completely on guitar, 
and it still only has a few good chords. <laughs> and I, it was so funny because some friends of mine had come to the concert, uh, the Notespire guys that you mm. got to be on their show, uh, Notespire Music, give you guys a shout yeah. out. Um, but they had come to my, one of my live concerts for the Just As I Am, and they go, when you put on an electric guitar, we were like, what? <laughs> when did Polly do that? But I, I did have a backup guitarist because I knew that I would probably get nervous and mess it up a little and have to stop maybe even to sing it well. But I did play through the whole song. I'll give myself that. It yeah. wasn't as good as my, you know, I told the sound people, I said, I'm on softly, they're on loud. <laughs> right, 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 right. But it was, it it's was so fun show. because it was just so much fun. Like, because yeah. I wrote, a, I mean, it's just a straight rock song. And it, but it fit that, that psalm concept of how long, oh Lord, will you allow all of the evil that's going on in the world, all the injustices, how long is it going to go on? And I let the song just stay there, just rock. And then at the end, I have a synth come in and just holds. And then I, I read the, um, it's taken from the Psalms. It's not like a, a, a an word actual, like, yeah, exactly. I'm not doing a word for word. But um, I just read this. Um, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have peace that your mercies are new every morning. That's mm -hmm. basically it. And then it goes into an actual instrumental. And it was so funny because I had written this instrumental one time at the piano, and I never could do anything with it. Mm. But then for a um, for a concert we were doing for a benefit for a mission trip, I turned it into the whole beginning of the concert, like to pull all of us up to the stage. Gotcha. And, and it was so cool because we had this whole thing going for the mission behind us on the screens. And I just always loved this instrumental. And so I'm like, that would bridge perfectly into the hope song called Your Grace. And so we did this instrumental. And Bobby was always so funny. Bobby at Gentilo at Right Coast Recording goes, such a weird song, but it's so cool. I love this. And so we were trying to decide what to do with it. And he even airboat an electric guitar over this piano part. And, yeah. And he, he had really never done it on an album. But yeah, you hold, it's like um, electronic has like a signal and it goes across. And it just, I don't know. If you want to look it up, it's called Hope Rises Hope on Rises. Spotify. It's really cool. But we tr I thought about putting some words just a little here and there. And we ended up deciding not. And we just did this whole series of ooze that come mm. in and out really fluidly. So it's just like the song just picks up steam and it does, it feels like hope rising. And then it jumps into the song, your grace, which is just a straight up God. I know that your grace is sufficient for all of it, that you're going to be the solid rock for all of it. That's crazy. Yeah. It That's was just a lot of fun. It was one of the biggest like piece to piece things that I'd stuck together. So when did you start getting concerts or start getting gigs, I guess? Well, actually in high school, I just started getting asked to sing at people's churches. Really? So it was just fun. Um, one summer, my pastor joked with me as I got back that fall. He goes, oh, are you a visitor? Yeah. <laughs> like, I had been there pretty much all summer. And I was laughing and it was like he knew where I had been. Right, of course. And it's kind of fun because it's as we moved back to York County, it was like 15 years ago, as my kids um, were in middle school at the time. And... Um, we would drive around York County. I'm like, oh, yeah, I sang at that church. Oh, yeah, I sang at that church. It's like the dad's like, oh, yeah, I worked at that house. I worked at that house. Exactly. I did this sidewalk. Exactly. So it was kind of fun, yeah. But, um, you know, it, some people would pay you. Some people wouldn't. I didn't mm -hmm. care. I just was enjoying singing. Um, after that, I mean, I don't know. As, as I did each project, you kind of started doing some concerts based off of it. And then you would just be asked to sing at events. 
Um, one of the things that I would encourage young musicians, I mean, if anything, there, um, a lot of young musicians have fallen into this trap too. I didn't even follow up though when people would say, I would love to have you come sing at my church because I would think that I was being like showing off or something. You know what I mean? I, like I would start being worried that people would think the wrong things, but I'm like, this person asked you, right? they wanted you to call. They didn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't even you cold calling, which I'm not even against that, by the way. Cold calling's oh, fine. I, I will cold it's call It's a great people. thing. You know what I mean? It really is. And I've done it. And I just was never super comfortable with it. For those who don't know what cold calling is, it's literally looking up the number and just calling them without any... Any, any contact. Any content. Yeah, only contact. Contact. Yeah. And you just call them up and say, hey, I'm this musician. I'm going to be in the area. And it is, it's a great thing to do. It is. But and like I said. Some people will block you. Yes. I mean, that's just. And it's, and it's okay. You got to be ready for yeah, that. Ready I for think that. Uh, that was part of my problem. I didn't want the rejection either. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like I said, I wouldn't even follow up on. I would go sing on somewhere. And this, yeah, this yeah. pastor would come up and go, oh, you would be perfect for this event or whatever. Give me a call and we'll get it set up. And I just wouldn't. Do it, people. Do it. Do it. Take Especially those, you know. Um, just get out there. Do your stuff. It's amazing, though. The more you do, the more doors open for you, too. Yeah. So, you know, just do the stuff. Take the opportunities. Yeah, I can't tell you how many opportunities I've had because I just started doing this. I wouldn't have met Pauline. Yeah, had I no, not we started, would not have. No, there's no, <laughs> besides a mutual friend, there's no connection between me and her uh, besides me just looking her up on LinkedIn. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, I guess that's what, like, cold calling on LinkedIn, Yeah, I guess. exactly. It was, yeah. you just sent me a message on LinkedIn, so I checked out the podcast. It turned out a friend of mine was already on, so I watched hers. And I had already said yes anyway, but I checked it out then. I was like, because I had been very convicted now to just kind of say, no, you need to follow up on opportunities. Opportunities present themselves, follow up. And it leads to cool stuff. I mean, singing in those churches in high school led to singing commercials. I mean, you're thinking, how does that work? I sang at a church. A gentleman comes up to me after and goes, you'd be perfect to sing in jingles. Um, And I'm like, okay, I'm always... Poor college student, of course, if you're going to pay me to come sing for an evening. And it was a blast. I mean, I did tire commercials and the leaner wiener hot dog commercial. And <laughs> and some of them were on radio and television. Some just were demos that never got picked up. But it was a blast. And it gave me studio experience. And mm, yeah. just it was a blast. I'm curious, how how do those work? Um, for those who don't know, what is it just a night of singing a song a million times? Or? Yes. <laughs> you walk in, they have the commercial jingle that they've written, and you're handed a little piece of sheet music, and you just, you sing it a couple times with them, then they pop you on mic, and a lot of times it was, sometimes it was four, most of the time it was just two. They'd have a guy and me, and we would go in, and we would sing, lean a wiener, lean a wiener, lean a hot dog, over and over and over till we got all the layers because parts of it would sound like a choir. And that was just us singing mm-hmm. all the parts that we fit. And um, sometimes it would have a lead part over it. And you would sing that. And as soon as they had everything they liked, you were done. They'd hand you a check and you were done. And then once in a while it would sell and you'd have to come back and redo it. But most of the time it would sell and they, they'd even just use it that way. 
Wow. And would you get royalties off of that or no. something? No. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't. I don't, I, I don't know I why. Wish, yeah, but. I wish. And probably just because it was, you know, it was kind of a local thing. Right, of course. So it was like for local radio. So it wasn't really big commercials, like national. I mean, I think if they right. were national, you probably would. I mean, I know that the hot dog commercial was a very regional thing, too. Like, it was kind of cool. I've heard of Lena Wiener Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the company. But it was a local one, and it was just like it was their new low-fat hot dog, and they wanted a commercial for it. And so, and my mom would call me, Pauline, you're on, you're on TV right now, <laughs> and it was just so funny. But like I said, opportunities come, you know, you just don't even know where. I was leading worship in church in um, Indiana, and one of the gentlemen, it turned out, and we we were new to this church. My mm. husband was the pastor. And I didn't get to lead worship very often because they already had a couple of people who did it regularly. But I was leading one week and he came up to me and goes, you would be great at our um, community dinner theater. And mm. it was through Bear Creek Farms, which is like it's kind of like a um, Bob Evans style restaurant. But and they were all over Ohio, Indiana kind of area. Oh, okay. And they had where the original restaurant was. They had a big dinner theater building. And they had an amusement park for families, and they did a kids' show. So he hired me first for a summer to do the kids' show. And I ended up doing that three summers. It was perfect, or two summers it was. My kids were little. I had a teenage babysitter, and it was during their nap time. So I would go from 12 to 3 every afternoon, do three shows. I could take my kids there for a reduced price. I'd get dinner. They yeah. paid me well. And then that led to some Christmas dinner theaters through. They would People would bus into this little town community theater, and we would do Christmas shows. So like I said, just one opportunity many times will just build. Yeah, I can't tell you, like, again, just by reaching out to certain people through here, I, I have opportunities now in Nashville and, and yeah, so Key awesome. West and – because I because of people that you would have never ever have met had you not exactly. done opportunities and opportunity, and stepped out first and stepped out first that's <laughs> get out right. of that comfort zone and that's right I never went out to open mics before mm. I wouldn't even be doing this podcast had I not step had my friend rather pushed me out in some <laughs> there ways you go. that helps it does Good help friend. <laughs> and uh, I I and then I stepped out you know by myself. And then I, I started getting gigging opportunities with my friend, and and people started liking my stuff, and that's how I got into all of this. It, it's crazy how one decision snowballs yes. into a bigger and bigger and bigger, not decisions, but just opportunities. And, yes. And a bigger thing. Yes. And I, I was talking to a pastor a few years ago about, like, as my kids were graduating high school and off to college, I was like, what am I doing with my music now? Because mm. I did my first albums, like, when they were still... Well, when they were little, I did several albums, but they were spread out. Um, but then now I've been just doing them kind of regularly. And it was so funny because I sat down with this pastor and I said, I have all these ideas for stuff that I want to get done. And it was great because he just looked at me and goes, God can't steer a parked car. Start to drive. Mm. And then he goes, pick one project, finish, finish it. That. Yeah. And then go from there. What did I learn? So each album I've done. Now, the books, that was a whole new thing. The first book, oh my word, it took, it took a lot more work, you know, and figuring it out. And now, like, the steps are there. It's hard sometimes to trust that process again. You want to rush to the finish line instead of right. remember, oh, no, this was a process. And you had to submit to the process 
constantly in the middle of it. You had to wait for the next song inspiration. You had to wait for the next. In this case, I've been writing devotional books and you have to wait for that cohesiveness sometimes to come together and just keep trusting the process. What is it like to write a devotional book? That was wild. I Like I said, I, that I had started in 2012, it was. I just started writing blog posts, or actually, I guess it was even 2010, but it was right in that, that window. And I was like, because I always had all these devotional ideas, and I would like speak at ladies' things, and I was like, mm, maybe I should write some of them down. And for a solid year, I put them out consistently. And then I kind of just got out of the habit because I wasn't sure, is this the exact thing? Which don't question so much. Keep doing. Yeah, Um, (laughs) right. You'll find out later. Yeah, exactly. Um, But I had written all these and I had just gotten just so many responses from them and people asking to use them and stuff. And so I decided I'm going to I'm going to try putting it into like a book format. Let's mm. see if that if we can get it cohesive and I was praying over well which one because I had so many ideas. And then I decided on one that was like a set of scripture verses that I would use with my kids during um Advent season that were just prophecies of the coming Messiah. Mm. And so I would have them read them on the days leading up and then we'd read the story on Christmas Day together as a family. So I had handed these out at several ladies' events, and people were always like, oh, give me this. I want this. So I was like, that's the one. That's what we're going to do. And I'm even going to write a children's component so that it has ideas for your family. And I, I'm very, very um, strongly wording this, like, do only what fits your family. Don't feel like, yep, this is not oh, a checklist. Just do the couple activities you want. But the verses are the important thing. And then I just wrote a daily devotional for and basically for the family if the you know like teens and up or just for the parents and it was such a cool process because even the order I was like what order do I put it in I'm not sure <laughs> so, I, so I would have to wait and then as I prayed over and I started just writing the devotions one day it came to me so I put it all on a wall and I put it in brightly colored things and like it came in a wall and then I I put I saw that it had like kind of headings to them. So I put mm. headings over them. and and I. But the whole time I was just writing. I was just reading the verses and writing as it came. And then um, a lady did all my editing. And then that first one, I even had several pastors read it because I was like, I don't want to just put this out there, you know, looking like, oh, yeah, I had a little Bible college, so I'm going to write a book. You know? <laughs> you know, it just sounds like presumptuous. But yet I had them reading and they, and they were all like, no, this this is very good. This is, you know, and I had a few moms read it and um, so it, you know, and then the follow-up, same deal. You put that book out there and you're thinking, I mean, cause anybody who's written a song or written anything, it is a part of you yeah. and you put it out to people. That is very difficult at first. Yeah. It's like, cause you feel like you're being judged. You know what I mean? And, right. Any and criticism that, of the song is feel, a criticism of you. Yes. And I always try to explain to people as a vocalist, it's even 10 times worse because if it's, right. if it's your guitar, you can say, oh, my guitar was out of tune. <laughs> or I didn't bring my good guitar tonight. It's your voice. It's you. It's I you. mean, so it's, yeah. so be really nice to vocalists. But <laughs> be honest, but kind. But, you know, be nice. Know that that is kind of what they're going through. But, you know, putting a book out with something whole new and you're just like, okay, I had a lot of great feedback from people I really respect. But, and then I was getting gifts from people I didn't even know. Mm. And that was cool. Like, you know, I have a whole little set of placards for the Advent season that just someone my daughter shared it with, shared it with somebody else. Right. And I didn't even know her, but she got 
the gift back through them. And you're just like, wow, you know, and then learning that people had shared it with entire family blocks, you know, that that's really cool. You know, and we did a whole music thing with it, too, which was totally cool, too. And that's when I really started doing even more collaborating. Up until that point, I'd done little bits of collaborating, um, largely in I had the song and I would bring somebody in to help them take it to the next level. Mm. But now I've been writing with a friend, too, and that's a lot of fun. It is Collaborating is something I've been trying to get into a lot more recently because it's so much it's easier in some aspects, in some ways, and in some harder ways, others. and others and others, <laughs> but uh, it, but it's so much more fun. Yes, yes, and you take yourself in new directions. Yeah, and that's that's the goal as an artist is to expand, not yes. just repeat. Yes, because like the Christmas album, I had so much fun doing that that goes with the long-awaited one book, um, because like I said, my friend Isaiah and I, Isaiah Becker, um, we just started writing these songs, and like half of them were key guitar parts that he would just bring to my house. And so I would just ruminate over them or some of them just instantly, I would start hearing a melody. And so um, some of them, like the long awaited one title track was actually an old hymn. Come thou long expected Jesus. Mm -hmm. No, not come thou long expected Jesus. Come. uh, Yeah. Come thou long expected Jesus. I just say the right (laughs) thing. Um, the we took those lyrics and stuck it in and then just wrote an extra part to it or um i'm trying to think of another one um that he wrote but but once he did that i ended up not even doing any piano on that i just did i ended up just doing a few layers to the vocals just a little bit of harmonies and then i just did string parts and it was kind of cool because i borrowed our our church's newest keyboard was really nice string parts so i used those and because I really couldn't afford the Nashville strings, I wanted to, but right. I couldn't afford them. But it was really cool because Bobby Gentillo and all of his bag of tricks, he took those really great strings and then doubled them with a set that he had on his computer mm. to make them sound even richer and truer to life. So I wrote entire string parts. And that's where it comes to where we say on my dining room table. <laughs> Although some of the I wrote a VBS song once in my dining room. The entire thing was just in the dining room and they used it for VBS and that was in Florida. So she was kind of referring to that too because she sang back up. <laughs> mm. That's fun. That it, that's a good also a good tip for uh better strings is that layer more yes. strings, more strings, more strings, and then it's gonna sound real. <laughs> exactly. A much truer to life sound. Right. So tell me, you start. You said you uh, wrote a musical. Tell me about that experience. Oh, that was a lot of fun. That I've done a few, um, but most of them were for kids at first. But um, let's see, my children were really little. We did a, basically a passion play, and that one I didn't write all of the music. I'd only written parts of the music, and so some of the other stuff I bar- I used other people's songs. Mm. Like we used "Behold the Lamb," the old standard for one of the passion scenes. But I had written several of the other Mary songs about from Mary's perspective. And the entire play was from Mary's perspective. Gotcha. And um, but then took you through the entire passion. And we did that um, for it was we did it for Christmas because we kind of focused on the Christmas section, but then took it through the whole passion. And that was a lot of fun. We ended up we did two nights and then we actually expanded to a third because the um, community was really getting into it. So that was a lot of fun. And that's funny because I know I have it on, you're going to love this, VHS somewhere. <laughs> um, but I'm not even sure where I saved the whole script. But <laughs> So 
Um, so I guess it was just the Bible stories. Yes, okay. it was Bible stories. So yeah, and I just it, we we embellished a little, you know, taking into some story yeah, aspects. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because you know, I mean, basically, and this is something cool I learned about. You know, Old Testament writers. Let's face it, they're writing on papyrus and, yeah right you know, yeah, they don't have enough they, they don't, don't have, have paper so they're right. not gonna they're, they're gonna give us the bare bones facts which i think and was well, part of god's plan needed, too yeah. exactly what's absolutely important for us to know so you know it's important to make sure you're going back to that when you're figuring out what do i add to bring this into a full story what's but, probably the case that actually happened right? yes exactly so that you know okay Yes, this conversation does it does ring true to the text, but right, yeah. you know you had to get that for some of the conversations and stuff. I'm sure that's a lot of the battle for sight and sound. Yes, actually. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, I always wish that was one opportunity I didn't follow up on, and I always was sad about. Really? Yeah, because I had gotten a letter to audition, and I didn't do it because I was I was afraid it'd be too much with my little kids back and forth. And now I'm like, oh come on, <laughs> you can still do it though. <laughs> yeah, how about it? They can use. You still, you, I mean. They're always looking for people. You can yes, probably still do yeah. it. Then you can say, I was on Science Island. There you go. <laughs> uh, although lately I've been pretty busy with this stuff. Oh, fair so, enough. Yeah. <laughs> you start writing enough of your own, and you do start getting busy with your own stuff a little more. Yeah. So how did you uh, You also start a business? You do your teaching? Yes, yes. And that I've just been doing people, once again, like in college, some people from my church just said, would you teach? And it was funny because I've always been a natural teacher. I didn't get an education degree because I knew I didn't want to teach in public schools. So which is kind of in some ways sad, though, too, because I know there's a lot of smaller Christian schools that I would you know, like that just need part time. And so sometimes I'm like, oh, I should have done that. But uh, <laughs> right, yes. a second lifetime. Right. Um, but, yeah, I just started teaching privately. And the, I, I was always so in love with my piano teacher growing up anyway that I was like, oh, I w- yes, that's a great job to have too i just kind of wanted to be her and so i started teaching voice too because i was a voice major piano minor in college gotcha so they and people would notice that i was just a natural teacher too because that i started actually coaching gymnastics that way i was still tumbling in college to stay in shape and they were like wait you teach we'll let you come tumble for free if you would coach a little so i just started coaching a little on the side too and I just did that up through my early 30s, and then I kind of focused back in on music. But yeah, it's just people came and said, would you teach them piano? And so, and then I started to come up with the whole philosophy even of what my studio would look like. And Talk to me about your philosophy. My philosophy is basically to, I wanted kids to be lifelong piano players. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be the greatest piano player ever, because it was kind of sad one time, this is a little bit off of going into philosophy, but it kind of shows you my heart in philosophy. I had two teenagers come to me who had studied with a very strict classical teacher. And there's nothing wrong with this because they are in a niche and they are raising strong classical players. Right. But this statement upset me to no end. These two piano players were very good piano players. They were never going to be great classical pianists. Yes. But that teacher had looked at them and said they had no business touching a piano. And I was so upset because I was like, Recently, those two people are young adults and they send me pictures. They have pianos in their home and they play for their pleasure. Right. Yeah. And that is so important. Do you know what I mean? Like there and I have kids. I have a ton of kids who've gone on to have careers in music. That's awesome. 
You know, I've yeah. had I've had kids who become producers. I've had kids who've gone on to be worship leaders. Um, I've had I've trained worship leaders who've come to me to get their vocals better. Um, I've trained them. I've trained young uh, teenagers how to chord and be in their worship band. You know, I've I've trained all those things, and that's vital. But also, so is the the person who just wants to sit down, right. and play that piano or play that keyboard. And so I try to I try to make sure kids get a really strong foundation. I teach them in music reading first, just because that opens so many more doors than right. just courting at first. And then I let them learn courting as they get a little older, because I think it's important. Because if you learn courting, you understand a little more of what some of those great composers did too. Yeah, <laughs> and you can even figure some of that out by ear too, because you get oh, it's still just the standard one four five with some six minor and two minor. You know, you start right. to go oh, it's still basically the same thing, but then you start to learn the nuances they used of the sevens and the sixes and the things they added to create extra beauty in those basic chords. So it's it's fun. Like I, that's but my philosophy is lifelong players. It really is, and singers, because that's my my big thing with. Um, a lot of people, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily want to sing. And I don't teach classical voices much anymore. I teach it to people who want to go into college and mm. start studying mm. it, but I don't otherwise. I teach a lot of Broadway and jazz and stuff that still had good, true, pure vocals so that they can learn that good technique. But I always tell them, I'm like, you want to do a pop style because you want that style and you want a technique that's going to allow you to sing to your 70, not... You're done at 30 because you've fried those vocal cords. Mm -hmm. So good, good vocal techniques important. So I teach that. I teach them that basic true philosophy of this is good technique. And then, like I said, and I, I stretch them outside into jazz and Broadway and things that allow them to do that. But then I let them sing a lot of what they want to sing, too. Um, not this, not the simplest of the pop, because I always tell them, you don't need me for that. <laughs> you can <laughs> sing that at home without any help. <laughs> but, um, you know, and sometimes I'll let them do it because I have different styles of shows too, that I do with my students. Mm. We do the standard recital so that all the piano kids can get started too. Um, I have coffee houses that I do for them so that like, uh, teens and even some preteens and above can just come and they can do some of those styles that they really wanted to branch into and, and have a chance to perform. And then I've also done some Broadway review shows. Mm. So, and people have said to me, why don't you do a full show? And I'm like, because that's not my thing. My thing is to give more people opportunities right. and, a, and a show lets two or three leads do most of it mm -hmm. and everybody else does small bits. So in our shows, we do just segments of shows or, or just solos or small right. groups. And, and that's, that's a lot of fun still. Exactly. Get, oh, get, they have a blast. Right. Because so, not only for the audience or not for the kids' perspective, but from the audience perspective, because yes. you're going to hear some shows you've never heard from that way. Rather than, oh, I'm not going to go to, to this show because I've never heard it before. Exactly. Or even, oh, I'm not real crazy over that one. But yeah, right. It was only two songs. Okay, we're on to exactly. Yeah, it was only it was only a section exactly. about it, and we're moving on to something else. And so you have nobody walking out the door. Yes, and and I think it's really good for the kids too because they get the concept early that we're cheering for each other as musicians, not in competition not for in the competition. lead. Because that's one of the downfalls that can happen in big shows is yeah. it's all about the lead. And I remember in high school, kids dropping out when they didn't get the lead. 
or they didn't get a big enough role. And it's like, no, be in every show. Because the truth is, if you even like for anybody who's looking to go into those types of shows, too, because I looked at possibly doing theater type things. And I decided I really just didn't want to travel as much as all that. Mm. Um, Because you do have to at first. You have to do the kind of the dinner theater circuit and you do the whole thing. And um, but the the really cheer for each other, be willing to do all the small roles, be willing to learn the whole thing from the bottom up and cheer for one another so that the atmosphere of the show even comes across better to everybody. And we're all in it together and we're all trying to make the best possible show possible whether you're the nun in the sound of music or whether you're maria and you're just as important too by the way because without the nuns who's going to solve the problem of maria (laughs) there is no problem of maria Uh, thank you there is no problem and and besides all that's that's going to just expand your repertoire expand your experience and you're probably to be quite honest getting lead is a hard thing to do yes and it's and it's not for everybody and pe- ensemble is great. Yes. Because you get to be multiple people. You get to be mu- sing multiple different songs that leads will never ever, right. ever sing. And you get to have probably the most fun because you get to make up a lot of your own acting. Yes. Now, like, I, I loved being Annie. Annie. Right. Of course. I, I mean, like, I loved pros and being, cons to each. Yeah. Um, um, I loved doing all those types of lead roles. But my one of my favorite things I ever did was a bag lady in a little Italian play and it was called Scapino and I was the bag lady and I got to come through and steal the show over and over. Yeah. I got to, before the show, I was on a scaffolding with a, with, with little old rags over me and everybody thought this, there was nothing going on and the lights slowly come up so they think, and all of a sudden I just pop up and I'm stretching and then I got to go through the crowd begging for things. People gave me gum. Somebody gave me a watch. <laughs> But it was just so fun. I got to have a blast and use this little accent. And I swear it was more fun than any lead I ever got to do. This was say, I, I was uh, one of the, the cutlery in Beauty and the Beast. And what I got to do was I had, uh, so it was like, it was it was the, the battle scene between like the the, the people of the, ca- the castle, the furniture and all that yes, jazz, yes. and the mob. And so I got to have a person, a spoon attacking me. Oh, carrying that's me, like carrying me on my back, a little girl just banging <laughs> on my head. I'm you know, running around with her on my back and having the most fun ever. Yes. And you can't do that as Beast or Gaston that's or so anything true. else. Exactly. You can't do it. <laughs> it's not nearly as much fun. No. Uh, they're more rigid, but there's you know there's there's yeah, fun there's aspects to exactly Mary to Poppins get to fly. Yes. <laughs> but so do the chimney sweepers. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so. Tell me, what was it like to start a choir and start building music camps, start building mm. uh, that kind of curriculum? I yeah, they, exactly. Mostly, you just kind of looked back at what were the things that kind of influenced me as a musician. And one of the big ones was music camps that I went to. And that was our local, like, stay overnight Christian camp. But they had a musical week. And during the week, we'd put together a musical. And it was just so much fun. I had so much fun. I just couldn't even, like, tell you. Like, that really did influence me strongly and just gave me a heart and for... Because, let's face it, whether you're acting a song or sharing a song with any kind of meaning to it, any kind, 
you're telling a story. Mm. So you want to be able to just do that and do it well. Um, whether I'm singing um, like one of these songs that I've written about God, I'm telling a story. I'm, I'm lifting somebody to the throne. I'm doing something. I'm telling that story. And so those were the earliest times I got to do that by telling stories through yeah, right. a musical. So we would spend the week doing that. And then it, so as I got, um, as I was starting to had my private studio and I was teaching um, some of my, I, I wasn't even homeschooling my kids yet. They weren't even old enough, mm. but some of my friends in my church were homeschooling and they kind of came to me and said, would you start a choir for our kids? Because I had been doing some ensembles with some of the other people and I had done the church choir at that point. And I was like, sure, let's do it. So we started just going to um, nursing homes and other churches and singing. So that was a lot of fun. So in Florida, I kind of just did the same thing. I just kind of announced it through a homeschool association. And we ended up with like 30 kids and we did, we did musicals in it. We also just did, um, I, I tried to always do a session of just general, introduce them to many types of music Mm. and then a session where we put together a musical. So, and, and, um, even my homeschool choirs I've had up even in the, in now that's kind of a way that I'll often do it. I'll give them a lot of smattering so that they're, you know, they're doing an old classical, like, oh, Shenandoah, I long to see something gorgeous like that right next to something from Sister Act 2. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, we're doing joyful, joyful. So they're, they're just trying all these things. And then another session where we put together a musical. And then you mentioned the music camps themselves, too. It was just kind of fun. Our church in Florida had a huge day camp. It was, it was their version of EBS, but it was like an all-day program. Oh. And so it was huge. And out of that, our children's minister and I just kind of said, let's try a music camp because she had seen all my homeschool choirs and some of their productions. And she goes, let's do this. And I was like, yeah, I, I did them when I was in school. Let's do this. So we, put, we, we chose a musical. We found one um, by Janet Gardner, and it was called The Phantom of the Music Room. And it's adorable little play. The kids think there's a ghost in the music room at night because they leave musical and in the dark room, the piano starts to play. Long story short, it turns out to be the janitor. So it's hysterical. They don't find this out to the end, but they're getting scared the whole right. play. And every song in it was written to a classical theme, but just moves the plot along. So it was really cute. And I stuck... Um, I can't remember. We only changed like two songs to put like these two Christian songs we want in it. Plus there are commercial breaks. I'd forgotten this. There are commercial breaks in it because it's supposed to look like it was really fun. And we took those commercial breaks and they wrote their own commercials in part of the music class, which was fun. So that was a blast. But we just Monday through Friday, the kids would come like nine to four. And we would just, we had, we taught them lessons through it too. Like we would have a voice class, but of course you'd use a song in the musical to teach it. Right, of course. We'd have an acting class and they'd do a scene, scene from the, the musical. musical. Right. So that by the end of the week, they'd put on this production for their parents. And then th- that's all we did the first year was that one. And we had like 60 or 30 kids the first year. And then the second year we had 60, which are the third year it was, we had 60. It's because it just kept building each year. Um, but the, the second year we added a second camp and that was piano, voice, violin, and guitar. Mm. So they came and they, they signed up for their discipline, which one they were going to do. And, um, during the week they learned the basics and with guitar, with all three of those other ones, they had to have at least had just one year to like, to at least know the instrument right, a little, course. 
But then we put on basically a big recital. And by the end, they did songs totally together too, which was really cool. That's fun. That was a blast. And then we ended with one big, because they all learned to do like two or three songs like in the beginning, because I did a lot of ear training with them all, because that's good for every musician across every discipline. Yes. The better your ears, the better you can sing and get things in, the better you're going to be on your instrument because you're going to hear stuff so much better. So, yeah. Absolutely. So we have some of your songs. Oh, yeah. Do you want to start with Psalm 103? Sure. Talk about the uh, compositional process of that one. Now, that one is a lot of fun because that was just written at the piano. That's kind of like my standard um, writing pattern that I've fallen into. I just sat down one day and I came up with this little piano part. And I actually, this is funny because it kind of dovetailed two projects because my next project is actually a Psalms project musically. Mm -hmm. And my friend Isaiah and Becker and I have, I think it's six or eight of the songs written so far. And we're going to actually put this one on as well. Um, But I ended up using it um, in the, um, long awaited one album. So that's how this one's already done. But I sat down at the piano and I had Psalm 103 open because that was one of the things we had referenced in the, um, in the book. And I just started playing and parts of it fell together and I'd have to stop every now and then and pick a spot and I'd focus on that. And then I would just write the next section. So, um, and then, um, Isaiah started playing guitar on it. And then actually you'll hear Bobby Gentillo playing most of the electric parts that ended up on the album this time nice so i'm curious is this a verbatim uh no no, no okay. but close i think in spots i was supposed to say because it is i've tried to do verbatim songs oh, and out of the psalms it is so hard it's impossible <laughs> it's it's darn near impossible or they sound really strange it they don't sound very super modern. strange it's, they call it poetry but not in english <laughs> yes exactly well you have to remember that it is I know, of course, hebrew of course, poetry yes. so it is tough that, that's what i'm saying so yeah, isaiah and i it's funny because all these psalms we've been writing some of them have small chunks that are verbatim but much of it will take a section kind of say how would i say that now Right, and how would I make it like rhyme or flow? Yes, or exactly. Because it, it does not do that <laughs> no, now at all. But with that said, this is Psalm 103 by Pauline Williams.
was Psalm 103 by Pauline Williams. <laughs> it said that was an earlier take. Yeah, I just realized my daughter sent the one without the guitars on yet. <laughs> so how dare she? <laughs> well, hopefully this is the next song, Your Grace. Yeah. It's the right one. Oh, I, I, I heard her, we started playing part of that one earlier, so that sounded right. So tell me about this one. Oh, Your Grace. This was a fun one. This is one, um, Corey and I were talking a little ahead of time, and this is one that was actually part of a three-song trilogy that I wrote. As I, I've been learning guitar to learn to play some things out myself and a little bit of bass um, and just learning some of those things to become a better musician, a better writer. And um, first song in that trilogy of songs is kind of follows the, the path of a psalm that, off, that psalms often take, where you just pour out your woes to God, mm, um, mm-hmm. reflect on God's goodness, and then uh, praise give your assurance yeah. that you trust and praise God. And so the first song was called How Long, and it's a straight-up rock song that I wrote on electric guitar. And actually, Well, I kind of wrote it on acoustic at first, and then I realized it was a rock song. And, and it was just a straight pretty hard rock song. And it's so funny because one of my friends who, um, who was played in one of my concerts, he even goes, that's my favorite. Cause he goes, that's my style. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it just, it totally just stays right in that moment of saying, how long, Oh Lord, how long will you let your people suffer? How long, mm. you know, is this world going to be so unjust, you know? And it just stays in that moment. And it's just straight up hard rock. And at the end of it, it slides into this, um, uh, synthesizer sound that just kind of builds. And then I say a paraphrase of the Psalms and just says, um, uh, and so this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Um, your mercies are new every morning. That's mm. basically that. And then it goes into an instrumental song called Hope Rises, which starts kind of small with this little piano ditty that goes. And it was one that I wrote at the piano once. And Bobby Gentilla called it that weird song that's really cool. <laughs> As we were putting it together. And he did something really cool with an ebo um, that's really neat. Like I said, that one's called Hope Rises. And we never, we never put any words to it. We just put some ooze and we let the song just build and it sounds more and more hopeful. And then it works right into this song, Your Grace, which is um, from Paul's writings of saying, your grace is sufficient for me. Mm. Um, And it was kind of cool because I wrote the chorus and I'd written the piano part. I got this idea after hearing a Walmart commercial. That sounds funny. (laughs) But I heard this intro with the piano that sounds so cool. And then I ran to the piano and came up with my own thing that had a similar vibe. And then I just start, and I wrote the whole chorus and stuff, and I wasn't sure what to do with it. Couldn't come up with the words to the verses. I'd written the verses. I, I could hum them, but I couldn't come up with it. And my daughter was on a mission trip to the Canary Islands, six-week mm. internship, or it was actually even, I think, a little longer. But she was over in the Canary Islands, came home with this poem that fit perfectly, you know, through the struggles of of seeing God and trying to get the most out of this internship and trying to understand what he wanted her to do there. It was just so cool because it all fit together and we came up with this song. And that is, this is Your Grace by Polly Williams.
that was Your Grace by Polly Williams. <laughs> so uh, you were telling me about the choirs. Uh, was that, I was f- more than one person. Yeah, five of us actually. <laughs> yeah. That's, that sounds like, how does that work? Do you just stand far away from the microphone and then uh, yeah, shout that's it? Part of, no, well, no, you just, you just Bobby like puts us like near the microphone and then he would even tell us, we would even change orders. Orders, right. And and sometimes, like, because I have a pretty big voice, mm-hmm. so sometimes I have to stand back a little extra. <laughs> but he would just change our positioning, and we'd sing different parts, and um, and we would just do it as many times as he said until he, he had what he wanted, and then just layer them all in there. That's wild. It is. It's so, it's so much fun. Um, so. Well, with all that said, we're going to end off our, our radio time. If you want to check out Pauline, where can they find you? On Spotify, um, on all the streaming sites, um, you can get the books on Amazon. You can get, like I said, the music's available at CD Baby and all streaming sites. Um, and then you can go to Instagram or Facebook to keep track of what we're doing next. Or the website. And that's yeah, all Pauline'sMusic.com. At, yep, all at Pauline'sMusic.com. Or Pauline's Music Instagram or Pauline's Music everywhere <laughs> you else. Got it. So with, with all that said, if you want to follow us and make sure you're up to date with all the guests and events, please be sure to follow follow me on Facebook.com forward slash the story Corey Rosen. I wish I had a a tagline <laughs> that I can attach to everything, but it's just not not the, the story is such a generic term. I was but not, I love it. It's yeah, a great it's, one. it's nice. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the underscore story underscore podcast. You can check out us on all streaming platforms. Um, but if you want to check out all the future guests, shops, merchandise, all that jazz, please be sure to go to our Facebook page. That's where we are mainly headquartered at the moment. So if you want to check out all that stuff, please check out facebook.com forward slash the story. Corey Rosen. We're going to let you guys get back to the radio, but we're going to continue on Facebook live.